Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It's August 1st, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Real football feels like it's upon us now, now that the Steelers have donned pads during this week's training camp. I'm not sure how much you can glean from what we've seen and heard through the first week, but we do have some impressions we're going to talk about. The Hall of Fame game is on Thursday, and we're really looking forward to seeing the fourth preseason game because we're probably going to see the same lineup we normally do see in the final preseason game on Thursday. And half of the Steelers' Outpost podcast crew feels the need to review the Madden ratings that just came out this week, so we are going to do that, much to your delight and pleasure. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Spotify Green Room, ladies and gentlemen. It's a live, audio-only sports talk platform where you can cut out the noise and bring in the action. And when I say action, I mean sports action. You can have watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and you can react to breaking news with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. I mean, this is a community online. This is the future, people. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. So... Training camp has begun in earnest as the team has started working out in pads. Look, there are some guys that are up, some guys that are down. It's it's impossible, right? I mean, they're doing drills right now. It's mm-hmm. We're going to extrapolate for the entire season based off of what we have seen in four days. That's what right. I think is always the thing to watch are injuries. And guys are getting hurt left and right, but not as concerned with that as season-ending injuries. Right. So far, none of that. What is curious, what is actually kind of disconcerting, but maybe there's a another side of the story is that TJ has not participated in team drills. Maybe he think- took a page out of BJ yeah. Finney's book. No, I, I think he probably has an understanding with the Steelers that like, look, this dude does not need a lot of practice where he's at. And that doesn't mean we're just going to let him take time off. I just mean he has a massive contract negotiation going on right now. Let's play a conservative with this superstar player, and if he misses some practice time, he, he's not going to be screwed. And that's what I meant by he doesn't need a ton of practice. So it just seems like a situation where it's the best thing for everybody. Hey, you're the best player on the team, defensive MVP type of guy. Let's play. You got a contract negotiation going on. Let's play this slow. I have nothing really other than that on the TJ front. Um, obviously, if that develops, that would be horrific, and we would have to update. But so far, it just looks like, um, you know, precautionary. Here's the thing I'll ask you about, TJ. It seems like these Steelers contracts, if they don't happen before training camp, they always happen on the day before the first game, right? I think Cam Hayward did that last year, Joe Hayden and them. They seem to sign their contracts within legitimately within three days of the first game, and that would be a problem. I do wish they could just get over it with T.J. Watt and just get it done, and then I wish that it had gotten done already. But what do you think? Do you think that that's going to mess with uh, T.J.'s season or with the chemistry if this contract negotiation doesn't get finished up? Bearing in mind that we don't know for certain the reason he's sitting out is because of the contract. Do you recall whether Cam sat out while he was waiting for his contract no. to get done? No, no, no. And I don't, I don't, I don't think TJ's sitting out 
because he has no injury and this is just a contract thing. I think maybe it's like, hey, he's nursing an injury and he has the contract thing. This is probably the safest thing for us to do. I don't think he's like holding out. The only concern is that he doesn't if he doesn't participate in team activities that I think that, you know, he doesn't. Yeah. Is he ready? Sure, he's ready. But everybody needs to get into football shape playing football. And I wouldn't want him to come out, you know, miss basically the entire training camp, not just to coordinate with his teammates, some of whom are going to be new, but also for his own, you know, conditioning. I I wouldn't want him to start at a negative one. You know, like this is where you should be negative two and work your way up to even for the first game of the season. I I wouldn't want to see him need a game or two to get up to speed. Well, it seems like we mention these guys all the time, but they sort of defined the last era of Steelers football. But Le'Veon Bell, the year when he held out, and he had such a slow start to that season. He did heat up uh, by the end of the season and had his best year yet, but nobody on earth was in the shape that that guy was in. I mean, he came in with a 12-pack to the first game, even not having been in training camp, but even then it was a slow start, so you're right. I would be shocked if TJ sat out for that much longer. Like I said, I think this is just sort of like a, well, you might as well sit out anyways, and we got plenty of reasons to do that. But, yeah, uh, in addition to TJ needing to get ready, you just want him on the field because that's your best player, and that's going to make everybody else around him step up. Like the offense is going to be crap in their pants more than they already should be when TJ's on the other side of the line with Cam and and Tuit and and Highsmith and everybody. Uh, So, yeah, you want him back in there. Um, but, but I feel like this is a perfect time to transition to said pants crappers in the offensive line. We have already circled that as a concern. And now <laughs> seven of the 15 offensive <laughs> linemen are not playing. Make no mistake about it. That's not good. <laughs> Look, um, it's an interesting week for the pod because it is so much fun getting play-by-plays of the little seven shots scrimmages and stuff like that just because it's wild to think that the Steelers players are on the field. Um, that being said, we haven't seen them play a real game. We haven't seen them do anything, and it's so early in the process that you still have to kind of wait to pass any judgment on these units. But I'll tell you this. The fact that an offensive line that's a massive question mark, no matter how many, how often Steeler fans want to try and justify it to themselves, including you and me, that like, I could see them being good. There's no way that they're going to step on the field with like five new starters <laughs> and nobody proven who hasn't been majorly injured for the past years. There's no way that it's going to start well and missing the first week of training camp, if not more, which it looks like it's going to be. That is so difficult, and there isn't a position where it's going to affect you more. The offensive line, this is the worst place where it could happen because continuity is such a massive thing. Not only do these guys not have talent. No, not have there, – there is some talent on the offensive line, much more than this, they're getting credit for. Um, there's a bunch of third-round picks and a former pro bowler and so, so on and so forth. But Um, That being said, the continuity is so massive because you have to be able to communicate in the pass game with stunting defenders. You have to be able to understand Ben, you know, and and how your guy protects Ben and how you protect Ben and how his drops are and where he's going to move at what times and so on and so forth. So that is a legitimate concern. Wouldn't you agree, Dad, that they, they haven't even practiced together? And then the backups that are in there are getting absolutely mauled, according to all reports. I guess the thing that really got my attention and made me suspicious is that Cam said, no, 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 these guys are pretty good. Cam Hayward? Yeah. What do you mean? In response to people asking, like, hey, what's up with this offensive line? He says, yeah, they're yeah. pretty good. So that alarmed you because he's, he's losing it? Come on, man. It's good. <laughs> he's, no, he's slicing through them like a hot knife through butter. No, I could see where if he blocked me, that would have been a good block. That's how Cam feels against all offensive linemen. So, yeah, maybe Cam's not the best judge. Um, I guess I just I am worried that this has kind of been a perfect storm in terms of we rolled the dice on Castro, which I supported. Oh, it didn't work out. Okay, cool. We got Trey Turner, basically another a younger DeCastro right here. Uh, to come into the team, whatever. But I guess what I'm trying to say is everybody's been looking at the offensive line the whole time. 
all the reports of Najee Harris I'm hearing are he's doing a good job breaking two tackles in the backfield to get to the line of scrimmage. Now, this is the backup Steelers offensive line, of course. Uh, so they will be much better. The drop-off is precipitous at best. But, dude, it's just not good to hear those reports that it's going so poorly. And if these guys are starting camp with injuries, like – it's a month, a month to the season, and, and I'm sure some of them can get totally healthy, but there's also a very legitimate chance that these guys are just starting with nagging injuries, and if you have to put the backups in, you're in a little bit of a worrisome place, and this is just not how you want to start, and it's going to make it difficult on Ben and the receivers and the running backs for anybody. They're, they need to get their timing down. They have some new pieces with the offense, particularly when you're talking about a new offensive style. They're not going to be able to get their timing down if people are breaking through the line on every play. Let's talk about who's actually out. So Chooks is still out. Kevin Ooh. Dotson, out. Ooh. Banner still rehabbing. How? So, How is Banner still rehabbing? I know our expectations for ACLs have gotten so unreasonable thanks to Adrian Peterson, but he got injured in the first game of the season last year. Like You would think he'd be back, but I... I guess, you know, you th- I don't know, 350 is probably yeah. difficult. Yeah. Maybe a little different I'm just there. freaking out and I'm lashing out at, at, at Banner's <laughs> doctors. Not a Banner. I know he, he's working. But, uh, yeah, so I guess <clears throat> the other disappointing report. So I guess let's kind of talk about the offensive line before we move on to the other concerning thing, which is the receivers are still dropping the ball at the same rate they were last year. If you didn't think it was possible, apparently it's possible. But with the offensive linemen, uh, I'd say all the reports about Green, Kendrick Green, the new rookie center, they're what you would expect. People are just like, yep, he's doing a good job. I'm I'm sure he will get better. So it sounds like people are like he's a rookie. But like I said, his demeanor and his energy – bode well i think for the position but it's not like he's out there turning heads clearly otherwise you would really hear that like oh my goodness this guy's already taking control so that's good that's going as as planned right joe haig who they signed from the buccaneers universally agreed upon by the the twitter scouting community which you know we joke about them because it is a, a an easy group of people to to rip they need to be ripped they're <laughs> very serious bunch but but generally have some good information out there. Haig is agreed. This guy's not a good offensive lineman. Just straight up. It was a disappointing signing by the Steelers. And he's been disappointing as a starter. Like, this is a veteran player. There's no room for growth here. He is what he is, and you're getting dominated already. I know you're playing the Steelers defensive line, but, dude, this is bad news if you're getting dominated. And Dan Moore Jr., the tackle, also had a couple rough days. But that's okay. That's a fourth-round rookie draft pick who's kind of raw in certain aspects. Anyways, we expect that. But with Haig, that's your next tackle. Like, that's your first tackle. He's going to start games, most likely. You know, your, your first backup tackle is going to have to start games, and this guy can't do anything right, apparently. So that is worrisome. We've also heard the same thing about Chaz Green. We, it was right. you know, sort of pre- predicted when he came into camp, but uh, he met expectations. So Anthony Coyle, seeing a lot of action, he, he left practice, what, Wednesday with a stinger. He's back. Uh, his name's been bandied about only because he's probably next man up. Okay, so I th- now I sort of think we've hit the offensive line. I think we've put the audience into enough of a terror. It's like, hey, look, we all know that's the key to this city or the key to this season. And so far, really bad. Uh, but the new offense will take care of all that. It will. Do you well, want to, before I, uh, I know you want to move on to the receivers and the drops, but sure. I had one more injury, or at least maybe not yeah. technically an injury, on the other side of the ball that sort of has me worried. And it's not an injury, but it's the fact that Stefan Tuitt hasn't seen the field. I just wonder what is, I mean, I think they were he predicting he's going to start practicing after, after, the Hall of Fame game. So you're right. It, okay. it's a, a few superstars on defense have mysterious reasons for not practicing. I'm not totally sure about, but I think he's still working his way back. I know he's been running around and stuff like that. I don't think it's anything to worry about judging by the rest of the reports. We need to thank Alex Kazora of Steelers oh, yeah. Depot because he is literally charting <laughs> training camp and he has counted the drops. And yeah. <laughs> as Nick reported, 
we may set a new record this year. It's bad. Here's the one I'm most concerned about is Chase Claypool. They've been putting him up against Cameron Sutton all the time. They've, I think they've run four fades. And I believe actually it's like four to six of them in the end zone. I actually think Claypool came down with a few. But it just seems like a lot of these reports are Sutton is slapping the ball away from Claypool. And I know that we can celebrate that saying, oh, man, Sutton's as good as we thought he was. My opinion on Chase Claypool is this. Football is built for the receivers. The rules are so in favor of the receivers that I think if you get a truly dominant receiver like we saw in Antonio Brown, but especially if you get a Julio Jones type or a Chase Claypool where your body is that gigantic, there's just no reason for you to be losing jump balls to Cam Sutton who's a good player, but he's not Jalen Ramsey. He's not jumping 40 inches in the air. And that's why I've been saying all offseason, the Steelers need to prioritize making Chase Claypool the number one receiver because if Chase Claypool can put it all together, he will be a legitimately unstoppable target. If you're not allowed to put your damn hands on the guy, which defensive backs are not allowed to do, what do you do to stop a 6-4-4-4 super freak And I was really hoping he would take the step this year on combated catches, which is where he struggled last year. He had a couple amazing ones, but so many times where he just didn't come up with it. And then finding a way to be able to actually just get deep when he just runs straight. Like, he needs to run that go route. Because if he adds those things, it changes the whole offense. I mean, the Steelers for 20 years with Ben Roethlisberger have generally had a Mike Wallace-type guy who will stretch the field. And every team has to play too high against them, or Ben gets an 80, at least one 80-yard touchdown every game as a result of these guys. They don't currently have that guy, and I don't know why Claypool, you know, hopefully he can figure it out. He's been the type of dude that has slowly developed over his entire football career at Notre Dame, too. More special teams start, stand out, coming from Canada, kind of late to the game, I guess. So I hope that he improves in these things, but that's been the... I'm reporting on something way too early. It's only the first week of camp. But I was kind of hoping Chase Claypool would come in and be able to moss uh, Cam Sutton on a consistent basis. Do you put any stock into that? I do note that Claypool had three touchdowns, all red zone jump balls. So that, that, that's a positive. I think you mentioned that. The thing that's really dis- – let me, let me just dial this back. Really disturbing is overstating because, like you said, first week of football – it's the fact that we can't get the ball downfield. That may be a function of the offensive line, of course. Dwayne Haskins, yeah. yards per attempt, 7.7. 7. Mason, 4.4. There's There are two balls that got completed over 15 yards, and to, uh, one guy has catches of over 15 yards, and that's Pat Fryermuth. <laughs> so, I mean, that is something we're looking to reverse this year. So it's kind of disturbing early in. But again... Defense is more up to speed than the offense, and it's a little early. Yeah, for sure. But if it, but if we saw ten balls over fifteen, we'd feel better. I believe that. I guess the report from this week is that everything's going exactly how you would think it's going. The defense is playing well because a they have a lot of superstar players who have proven themselves, major talents, all pros, Pro Bowlers. B they've also played together for a few years, so they have continuity on their side. The offense is doing terrible, but that's because they have so many new, new moving parts and they've had all five starting offensive line. They've, they haven't even had like two of the five starting offensive linemen together at one time. I mean, it is just making it really difficult for an offense to use a new offensive strategy when you're playing against the top five defensive front and you're playing with the backup offense, backup bottom five <laughs> offensive line. So, It's hard to put judgment on any of this soon, but I guess that is kind of my training camp theme so far before we get into some of the surprising guys who are, who are doing really well. Most of them on, on the defensive side of the ball, but the the theme is this, we know that the offensive line, it's going to take not a miracle, but it's going to take really a lot of things going right for them to be good. Uh, You know, they're going to have to come together and gel in camp. They get what five weeks to gel because the NFL, NFL offseason program isn't as 
rigorous as it used to be. They don't get to play together that much. So you're like, we have like five weeks to figure out how to get this offensive line to gel. When many other offensive lines in the year and the league have been together for years, we get five weeks and we've already missed the first week. We're probably going to miss a lot of the second week. It's hurting the quarterbacks with their timing because Cam Hayward's busting through the line every damn play. It's hurting the receivers because they're going to have to, you know, everybody knows they got to throw short. It's hurting Najee Harris and the running backs, so on and so forth. So I'd say... It's cool that the defense is doing well. It's disappointing that the offensive line injuries have prevented us really from getting any information. Yeah, and let's let's face it, the defensive secondary is not going to get tested in this camp unless things change drastically and quickly. No, and I'll say, speaking of testing the secondary, the only other real thing of note from offense, I'll just make a quick note on the quarterbacks and on Najee Harris. We might have to walk back our uh, Mason Rudolph prediction or whatever from last week. Like I think I think he's still firmly entrenched as the backup, but he's been horrifically bad, and that really surprised me. I mean, he's throwing pick six left and right. He threw two interceptions in team on Friday and or Saturday, whatever it was, and should have been three, according to Alex Kazora, Steelers Depot, and. He is not completing the ball. And I guess, hey, this makes total sense. And this backs up what we've always said about Mason Rudolph. If he doesn't have five seconds to throw the ball, it's, it's going to be a disaster. Like he is just lead foot, doesn't have a strong arm, can't throw on the run, can't throw off of weird platforms. If it's not an ideal pocket for him, he's screwed. So maybe he'll play a lot better once the starting offensive line gets back in there. But he's been pretty bad. And Dwayne Haskins has been impressive in the fact that, like, yeah, he's got a better, much better arm, and he, and he's got a little bit, and he's got better legs, and so he's made a couple impressive throws. He's also thrown some pick sixes and done Dwayne Haskins things, so it's not like he's blown Mason Rudolph out of the water. But it sounds like Mason's been pretty horrible, and Haskins has turned heads a little bit, like we said he would from the standpoint of the talent is there's going to be such a talent discrepancy. It's hard to see on TV, people, but when you're like there in person on the field and you're a player who's catching passes from Ben and Haskins and then Rudolph, like it is a noticeable difference in how hard they can throw it, you know, and how well they can throw it. So th- I did find that interesting that maybe people's Haskins dreams are closer to coming through than we initially thought. Yeah, if this illustrates things for you, Haskins and Rudolph are getting about the same number of snaps, in, around 50. Haskins has 418 yards. Mason Rudolph has 235 yards. So Mason's throwing, like I said, four and a half yards per attempt, and Haskins is at 7.7. I have read that Haskins isn't making a whole lot of boneheaded decisions. I mean, yes, he has a couple of interceptions. Mason has three. Again, it's early, but it looks like it could be a horse race. It's really early, and we're going to keep giving that caveat because – not only can the offense get better, but they can get exponentially better because they don't have any continuity and they don't know the system yet. So with the defense, they'll continue getting better, but I think they'll only get better at a a slow but steady rate because they've been together for a while. They're closest. They're already close to their max potential. They were like the number two defense in football last year, you know? So when they get better, it'll be a little bit. The the offense has the potential to get better by leaps and bounds because they're so bad right now and they're playing with so many backups and they're learning a new offense. So we are saying it's still early, but we also knew going into camp what the battles were going to be in the Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins thing is a headliner. And so far it looks to be definitively in the favor of Haskins. Now, the only way he's going to supplant, supplant, Mason Rudolph is by balling out in a couple preseason games. If he has a couple big games with some multiple touchdowns, no interceptions, then at that point, I, I even think Mike Tomlin, you know, the Steelers love the pedigree. They're going to like the idea of what they have with Haskins, and so will the rest of us, of course, you know. Um, I guess the only other thing I'll say is Najee so far seems to be as advertised. That doesn't shock me at all. It's really easy to predict running back success when you see someone like that, but he's had no holes to run through. He's been up and down in the blocking sessions from what I've heard. But overall, again, I just I don't have any worries about a running back like that, of that size, of that agility, pass catching intelligence. He's he's got everything. So the only thing is, can he get some blocking? You know, so we'll see what happens there. That's basically all. And, and really nothing to report on Ben. It seems like he barely practices, barely throws any passes. He's done OK. But I guess that's the offensive report from here 
we're just going to talk about, I don't know if these are surprises, but points of interest about individuals. Um, we're staying on the offensive. Two points about tight ends. Can we just look at yeah. six foot, six foot, 18 inch Zach Gentry looks yeah. like he now has an NFL type body. I mean, a guy like that, it, it does seem. Um, well, you had you had Al Villanueva. What was he? Six nine, seven or something. You know, seven. you're right. He was so gigantic. Zach Gentry six eight. He's got a leverage problem to start, but oh, he yeah. he does look like he's starting to uh, improve. Could yeah, qualify for he's most improved, improved from player the, from the base. He's absolute dog crap, and apparently he's playing a little bit better this year because. Cl- Clearly, he has to know he's playing for a job. So with blocking being so mental and so heart-based, you you, you got to want to knock another man into the dirty soil. Uh, yeah, you, losing your job and your NFL career as a result, because I don't know who would pick him up. That'll probably motivate you. So the other tight end, Pat Fryermuth, has been going up and getting plowed under by <laughs> Alex Highsmith. Not a good yes. sign, but, you know, Fryermuth is getting used to blocking A and blocking in the NFL B. Let's talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up before we moved on to defense. Fryermuth, so far so good, in my opinion, uh, of the camp. I kn- look, took him in the second round, kind of generally considered a third or fourth round talent, even though when he was like a freshman and sophomore at Penn State, people were thinking this might be a first round guy, right? When I watched his tape, I was extremely impressed with his hands, like soft hands, one-handed catches, high-pointing catches, on the run, away from the body, into the body, in traffic, in the back, in the end zone, whatever. That's something you cannot teach. And with his size, the, he should be a good blocker. So we said this a few weeks ago with Fryermuth. I actually think he could be a second-round pick. He would have some in some crazy similarities to a Heath Miller, which makes sense because the Steelers took him right where it's like he's not a burner with his speed but he catches everything and then Heath Miller obviously elite blocker so if this guy could turn it into that hell yeah that's worth the second round pick we said a few weeks ago the only way this is going to happen is if the Steelers abuse him like he had to be a pretty boy big boy on campus at Penn State like they didn't have a lot of pass catchers you're a star you're thinking yourself as a wide receiver someone needs to get him to the NFL and be like yeah, you don't run 4-5, so you're not going to be that guy ever. We need you to block if you want to be a star tight end, and we need you to go against TJ every day, right? And they just need to drill it into him, and that's what Tomlin has been doing. There was a report from camp saying that Mike Tomlin, every time Fryermuth has a catch, he says, that's cool, but can you block? So that shows us they are aware of what we are aware of. Like We know this guy can catch. If we can get this guy to block, he'll be a star tight end. And I think the way to do that is you kind of got to verbally abuse the guy. Like, he can take it. These are football players. I know it's 2021. We're not saying to, uh, you know, commit a crime him. against the guy. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Give him a swirly or whatever, right? But I do think you kind of got to make life miserable, much like a, you know, army drill sergeant, to get somebody to want to do something as miserable as blocking. You got to make him angry. You got to make him realize that has to happen. And you got to let Alex Highsmith abuse him. Alex Highsmith was going to come in with his hair on fire this camp no matter what. I think because he took such great advantage of his opportunity last year. He can smell blood in the water in terms of, hey, I can be a star player and small school guy. So definitely has to have a chip on his shoulder, even though he's soft spoken. I think he was going to come in with his hair on fire no matter what. Then you bring in Ingram, Melvin Ingram, right? You got to agree with me on this, Dad, right? There's no way that doesn't motivate the dude even more, right? Yeah, you're looking at your rearview mirror for sure. For sure. You know that you're probably still the guy for the long term because of Ingram's age, but like you don't want to lose these precious snaps. So it sounds like he it has been kind of the star of camp so far. And so, yeah, he's been ragdolling Fryermuth, but this is awesome. Like, a second-year guy and a first-year guy, we've said before, it's nice when guys kind of come in together and you can start those training camp rivalries. I love that they're making him go against Highsmith every time in those particular drills. I could see some people being like, is that affecting Highsmith's ability to get reps? Well, there's no tight ends who can block on the team, so (laughs) I don't think so. Um, Yeah, anyways, Fryermuth versus Highsmith. I love that they're doing that, and I have faith that it's going to produce some favorable results. Just feel for him, though, because 
Alex is going to step aside when TJ comes back. He said, okay, just when he gets used to Highsmith. <laughs> okay, now it gets real. We, let's give him some do, though. He, there was a very nice one-handed catch in the back of the end oh, zone yeah. that he made, just proving that the guy can catch, as you said, check. Good. Yeah. we got to work on the other aspect like, of your game. He can catch sexy. I'm t- like, this isn't like, I mean, Heath, like one of the greatest Steelers ever. I mean, he's catching with two hands. Like, this dude's going to catch it with one hand and bring it in. And he's not a big dropper either. You know, like, you'll see Ebron get a one-handed catch but then drop the next two. Like, this guy can – Fryermuth can really catch, and he can do it very smoothly, tap the toes, all that kind of stuff. So you're right. It's exciting. And he's been doing well, and he's been going against maybe the star of camp, Alex Highsmith. But we got another star of camp who may be the number one star, who I see you got next here on the rundown. Maybe the camp darling, if we will. And I don't think this is a guy who's going to disappear like we have seen in years past. James Pierre had another, what does he got, like three interceptions? At least. Two pick sixes. Two days in a row with pick six. And we said this on last week or two weeks ago podcast as well. Look, I refer back to this stuff just because, you know, it's good to keep track of. I'm not trying to sit here and pat us on the back. We don't. We do not know what's going to happen with the Steelers this year, but it's cool when you look at certain narratives develop like a Deontay Johnson last year. We knew like this guy's going to be a very good receiver. Yes, the drops, whatever. But the high end was very high end because we had a chance to see it the prior year with Mason Rudolph and Duck. I'm like, man, if he's making the most out of his limited opportunities there, he should be good. Go back to Mike Hilton, two training camps in a row where he was turning heads. Once you do it the second time, you're realizing, oh, this might be real. So last week, we talked about the hype around James Pierre and how he had such a phenomenal camp last year. The fact that they chose to start him over Justin Lane at the end of last season was significant. The fact that they weren't aggressive pursuing cornerbacks was significant. There's a lot of signs pointing to that this guy could be good. And you could not possibly open the camp in any, in, in any better way. I mean, he has multiple pick sixes. He has another interception besides that. I want to say he forced a fumble on Najee Harris, although that might have been another might have been another corner. It might have been Brooks or someone. But um, regardless, he's balling out, and we just got to keep our fingers crossed with that one because if you have a real bona fide boundary corner, which is what he plays, he plays outside corner, that would put uh, Hayden on the outside, Pierre on the outside, and then Sutton in the slot where he's phenomenal. Wow, you really don't lose that much from Steven Nelson. Yeah, very exciting. Like you said, he's building on a, on in his second year on that, and he ended uh, last season very strong. So, and comes into into camp with a ball of fire. Yeah, that so that's exciting. I feel like we started so deeply negative <laughs> on the podcast. Like, let's get to Highsmith and James Pierre a little bit later because they are doing so well. Hey. You know, we didn't doubt that this defense is the strength of this team. The fear is that secondary, and that is a trump card. That, that is awesome that Pierre is starting to show up in the way he has. So that, that makes me feel 100% yeah, he just better. Needs, I don't know. What number is James Pierre wearing right now? Because I think he did 42 last year, and that's not going to cut it. Okay, that is, it is just 42. a goofy corner number. Oh, man, we got to figure that out, and I guess that's what's happening. I mean, even the 41 is a little better than Antoine Blake, than Valentino Blake, but... Yep. So those are some positive uh, notes. There are some young defenders whose stars are rising even farther into the sky. That's a bad, well, bad news on top of good news. Troy Palomalo has COVID, and it may be possible that he is not going to be at his own Hall of Fame ceremony. Now that would be a disaster. I mean, what a freaking bummer, right? I think he's supposed to be the opening presenter as well. So I would be so bummed, even though it makes close to no difference whatsoever, if he doesn't get to give a speech. Sure, he wouldn't care at all either way, unless his kids really want to see him do it. But it's like Troy's already been a Hall of Famer. It'll be great to see the bust get in there. I guess he's not really showing symptoms or anything like that, so he's okay for anybody worried about that. This is Troy Palmolo we're talking about. Come on. Um but, yeah, that would suck if you had to miss the ceremony. But overall, who cares? He's in the Hall of Fame for eternity. Let's turn our attention to the Steelers' own Hall of Honor. They announced, they've announced the honor class for, Hall of Honor class for 2021. Did you already see who this is? I did, yeah. Why don't you read the list? Do you have it out there right now? I sure do. So, 
John Kolb, Tunch Ilkin, Carnell Lake, and Louis Lips. So what are your thoughts? I don't know much about John Kolb was the, was the thing I thought. So maybe that was the first thing I thought. The other guys are such slam dunks. I mean, Lewis Lips, in the for, he is the guy from that forgotten era of Pittsburgh Steelers football, right? He's really the only star in that, what was he, late 80s? Lewis Lips. Let's see when, what time, when did, that's when he played, right? Um, 1984, he joined the Steelers. Yeah, exactly. So sorry for that a little bit. I don't know. I had to double check that. I know exactly when he played, but he is really the only player from that era who we talk about. And uh, so obviously he deserves it. Carnell Lake, come on. That's like a, that's like a Hall of Famey type guy. Obviously he won't, but uh, you know, and Tunch, what needs to be said. It's not just reverie for him. Like, that guy was a beast. Well, the thing about John Kolb that I remember is that he, so this guy is 6'2", 260 pounds in his, play, in his playing weight. He was a monster in the weight room. And I remember, I may have this wrong, but I think he's like a 500-pound bench press guy. Yeah. He came out of, um, where did he come out of? Oklahoma State. So, did you read? There's a story on Steelers.com about when he got drafted. He was drafted in the third round. He gets a call from Art Rooney, senior, and he thinks he's being. It's a big joke. And the guy said, "We drafted you." And you know, remember this: the draft right. is sort of un, <laughs> understated. Not is almost secret compared it's not to the way it's handled today. I don't even think. Right. So he's waiting around for a couple teammates to get their announcement, and it turns out that they said, hey, you, you did get that. That actually was you know, Art Rooney. He didn't know who Art Rooney was, but he did think that the guy telling him he was on the Steelers was joking with him, and he said, hey, what do you think about being a Steeler? You psyched? He's like, no, I'm not. He hung up on the guy. So Hell he had to yeah. call back the next day, tracked him down, and apparently Art Rooney was magnanimous in welcoming John Cole to the Pittsburgh Steelers for what became a 13-year career, starting 138 of 177 games, going right from 1969 to 1981. So he was a key piece in that Steeler-dominated Super Bowl era. Very nice. Love it. Oh, I guess what I'd add to the Hall of Honor, that's a big deal for the Steelers. Like, you're kind of a borderline fringe Hall of Fame candidate, or, or you're never going to get that kind of vote, but you might have been that type of player. And I wonder who's going to make it from the modern era. I would think it's going to be a lot of guys, because when you think about the Steelers had three Super Bowl runs in the modern era here with Ben, and won two of them, and how many people are actually going to make the Hall of Fame? Probably just Troy and Ben, right? It's kind of crazy. You have guys like James Harrison and Farrier. And a ton of different guys. Marquise Pouncey, real superstar type players. I, the one guy I hope really makes it is Ike Taylor. Like, that's an underappreciated guy who ended up being a star player. I don't think people remember before his final two years, he had a nice stretch there where he was one of the only corners in the league who would follow. He would follow the team's number one receiver, and he shut down a bunch of big-time guys. Just couldn't catch the ball, so the interception numbers weren't there. But that list is going to be pretty cool um, for the modern Steelers, and it's a massive deal to get in the Steelers Hall of Honor, and that's something that you can kind of take with you to the grave. Like That's a really nice consolation prize to not be in, in the Hall of Fame, to be in the Pittsburgh Steelers, this revered organization with tons of success. Uh, that's a, To be in their Hall of Honor, that's sweet. So, controversial news story. Here we go. The Madden ratings are out, and Minka Fitzpatrick is not happy. That is bullcrap. Okay, so Minka's not even a nine. He's an 89 or something. They rated Minka Fitzpatrick the, uh, oh, my God, really? The, they rated him the, like the 10th highest safety. Okay, so we talk about the Madden ratings every year. Because that, I told you, it's a big deal. It's not just a game. It's, it's real. It's actually not very realistic with that stupid frostbite engine now. But, okay, so Steelers Madden ratings, they get absolutely hosed. TJ Watt is the third highest edge rusher. That one, you honestly can't be too furious about. The guys above him are Miles Garrett and, and uh, Khalil Mack. Do I think TJ should be higher? 
I think that there's a great argument for him to be. Yeah, but otherwise, when you're talking about the top three guys, 95 and above, like, okay, that's fine. Minka Fitzpatrick being the 10th-ranked safety is laughable. And But what I want to address is the overall reason for Madden rain, rankings. So they are pretty wildly inaccurate, and it's kind of agreed upon at this point. Like, Tom Brady is the second-ranked quarterback. He's a 97, which... Like, I know I could get called a Tom Brady hater, but that's just insane if you think that Tom Brady's better than Rodgers and Mahomes and Wilson and Watson and those type of superstar one-man bands. I mean, the guy threw three picks in the second half of the NFC Championship game to lose it. He's a top-10 quarterback. He's still good. He makes big throws. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl on the uh, with a great defense and a run game in the playoffs, you know? And four Hall of Fame wide receivers. It's not to take away from Tom Brady. It's just to put in perspective, this guy is not the second best quarterback. But why do they put him there? Well, number one, look, there is just a political thing with Tom Brady where everyone's just going to gas him up and nobody can get it through their head that he's not at all times a top three quarterback, even when it's clear that he hasn't been in previous years. You know, that unbelievable victory over the uh, his last few Super Bowls. I mean, he's a supporting character. They won 14 to three or whatever against the Rams, but people just can't get it through their heads. But the other reason is because the video game can only compensate for so much. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best team. So you need to make sure that the quarterback ranking is really high. And like, for instance, Drew Brees the past number of years. He's another guy. The media can't get over Drew Brees. They can't give Sean Payton any credit when the rest of the – when other quarterbacks have played for the Saints, they're like 10-1 and in the past 10 games without Drew Brees, right? A lot of this – in Drew, Brees, in Drew Brees's elderly years, obviously he carried the team as more of a star a few years ago, but people haven't been able to adjust their opinion on him. So Madden would rank him high. But I think a lot of the reason for that isn't because Drew Brees is great. It's because the Saints are going to be a great passing team, and you can't get what Sean Payton – you're not Sean Payton playing with the guy. Right, So if the play calling is giving you an advantage, there's only so much Madden can do. They're like, well, we can't have Sean Payton call the plays for these people. So let's just make the quarterback's stats and the receiver's uh, stats rankings. Let's make those things higher so that when you play with the Saints, you can pass the ball e- easily, even if we're kind of going in it from another angle here. And so that's what I think they do. With like the Steelers, you see like they have so much talent. The receivers are amazing. But... The pass game did crappy last year. So we can't do anything. We can't put Feetner in there calling the plays for you. We can't just make the offensive line bad because you could work around that and you could just light teams up for 30 points a game. We have to make it hard on you. So we're going to make the quarterback ranking low and we're going to make the receivers rankings low. So that's why I think the Steelers have a lot of low ratings except for the Minka Fitzpatrick one, which is a little bit annoying because also Madden has this thing where you need to do it like three, you need to have like three all pro years in a row before they give you two point increase with, he's got two consecutive all pro years universally agreed as a top three safety at worst, if not the number one and the Steelers have a great defense. So there's no reason you need to bring him down in comparison to other players. That one, that one's a little bit annoying, but it's always fun watching the players see their ratings as they go out to practice. The Washington football team had a big board out in front of the practice field so that, and they filmed all the players walking by. They're like, hey, check your Madden rating, and they would make them check, check the ratings. It's, it's pretty funny. And then ultimately, don't all you kids go in there and tweak the ratings? I do, yeah, because I'm yeah. here to play. I'm here to have fun, let off some steam playing a football game, not here to be watching Ben Roethlisberger get bad by some nerd at EA Sports. I, uh, I guess the reason why they, uh, one more time just here, the reason why they lower those ratings or hire them is to compensate for overall team success or lack of success. But I also do think they have a lack of, they just, their football knowledge isn't phenomenal and it clearly has not a, their, their game is kind of universally hated right now. It, every year it gets blown up by the fans and the critics like this isn't doing well. And they just keep making more money. So why would we need to research the players more in depth? Why wouldn't we need to change the game when everybody's still buying this game anyway? So it is pretty yeah. wild. They have a monopoly yeah, never... with the NFLPA, right? Yeah. And if you want to increase your sports knowledge, maybe a good place to start is Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is the best place to talk sports, period, whether you're trying to 
brush up on your sports knowledge, whether you're trying to get into an argument with a stranger or maybe just connect with fellow passionate fans on your favorite obscure Steelers fullbacks like Dan Kreider, Roosevelt Knicks. Spotify Greenroom is a live audio-only sports talk platform where you can talk to fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversations that you listen to here every day. Share your own experiences and takes on the app, and you might even be able to get featured on your favorite podcasts. Download the Spotify Greenroom app for free in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. I'm glad you used that word obscure because as I get ready for the show, I go down to the rabbit hole in uh, pro reference looking at old Steelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was looking for Lou Lips and, and you don't realize what a return artist he was, both kickoff and punt returns. So I'm starting to look through the old statistics and I always like to extract the interesting player. Cannonball Butler is just that player. Hell yeah. First of all, his name is Cannonball. His, his body of work might not exactly represent Cannonball, but it was a great name. One of the better things about him, he came out of the vaunted Edward Waters College. Wow. That is an illustrious, historically black Christian college in Florida. And he played for the Steelers from 1965 to 1967, had an okay career. He's uh, averaged a <laughs> threatening 2.8 yards per carry. But he was a very good punt returner, 23 yards, and he ranks as one of the higher punt returners in Steeler history. Ended up uh, having another five years in Atlanta. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, He did lead the league in fumbles in 1970. He did have one all-pro year or one Pro Bowl year and the year before that. So prolifically productive, no, but again, one of the better names in Steeler history. I told you, if it's a kick returner and he's got a sweet name— He's going to be good. We, we knew Ray Ray McLeod was going to be a pro bowler the day the Steelers signed him. I don't know if Tutu Atwell returns punts for the Rams, the new rookie they have. I have to assume he will. I have to assume he'll be the best punt return in the league. You got a guy called Cannonball Butler. Yeah. Yeah, he's Cannonball in some of those punt returns. Back to the promised land. Let me tell you that much. All right, so I think we have uncovered Chase Claypool's problem, why he's not focused, why he's not dominating, Yes, because he is spending way too much time on TikTok trying to build a brand that is a futile quest. We are here to proliferate our Steelers TikTok takes into the world. We don't care that they're doing TikTok. That is just such an old man yells at cloud take, right? Look, this particular generation right now of post-college kids, the Gen Z type things, it's particularly brutal because there is a level of, um, what's the word? It's like self-assuredness. It's basically like, I want all of the authority with none of the research. Now, I I don't know. There's just a, uh, there's a self-righteousness about this generation and in terms of like he thinks he i'm i'm let me let me twist this okay this isn't a political thing this is like dude you're the you're a horrible dancer why are you filming videos of dancing like when odell films a dance video it's at least like oh damn that guy can really that guy can really dance look at him go juju bad dancer ab was not he was pretty decent his touchdown dances were okay on dances with the stars he didn't uh do that great but hey heinz ward won it and he can't dance for crap all right, Claypool, we need some dancing lessons before we keep putting up these TikToks. So we don't care that they're making TikToks, but if you're going to make them, like, make them watchable because it is cringe city. He's not getting better. No, he's not. He's got money. He should be able to get people to help him. Ask, tell me this. What does smees mean? He's I have no one idea. of the TikToks is rating teams teammates smees and like four or five guys dance, but he's also has another TikTok with his mom in the kitchen. And you, th- I was saying before the show, okay, this could be like a Campbell soup kind of thing, and you could really be clever with this. You got your mom, maybe she's actually kind of funny. It's not. It's just it's hair- horrible. The only reason I watched it so I could talk <laughs> about it on the show today. Yeah, 
then that's our TikTok take. You guys just keep doing them. We're not going to fight against the current. We're not going to be Metallica trying to fight Napster, an entire world of streaming music. Do it. Just make it a little better because you are embarrassing us. You are way too cool looking. I mean, Chase Claypool could be a leading man in Hollywood. This guy is, is gorgeous. Let's just call a spade a spade. He's carved out of marble and steel, and he's six foot nine with pure muscle. I mean, flowing hair, just luxurious, going up there, scoring 80-yard touchdowns, and you dance, you can't move your legs at the same time as your head. Like, put the hips into it, dude. We need a little bit more soul in the dancing because – these TikTok videos, if we're going to be forced to hear about them or watch them, like at least give us something to work with because I can't lie. AB's dances, when he did that twerk against Washington in the game opener, that's pretty damn good. Odell, when he's hitting Michael Jackson leg kicks, I like a good dance, but damn, man, we got to step up the game here. Why don't we all add to his 1.6 million followers and we'll talk about it again okay. next week. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.